Well, I was asked this morning to share with you guys some reflections on two months of sabbatical. What does one do with two months of free time? Well, one grows their hair out, of course, right? (laughs) Megan and I were in the car the other day, and our four-year-old son, Reed, was in the back, and he said, Daddy, your hair is as long as Mommy's. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but whose is prettier? (laughs) He said, Mommy, and I wasn't sure whether to be insulted or to be glad about that. Um, What else do you do? Well, obviously, some traveling, and we did a little bit of traveling, we We did a short little trip out to Leavenworth, got to see the snow out there, which is fun. We spent almost a week out on the Washington coast, which was really delightful, despite the weather at the time. But the highlight of our traveling definitely had to be Disneyland. We saved up our airline miles and got the Costco deals, and we went to Disneyland Reed's first trip, and he loved it. Obviously, he got to meet... Goofy and Mickey and Donald, all those guys. We did the roller coasters. We walked 18 miles, a lot of walking, and we had a blast over in Disneyland. But uh, traveling wasn't the majority of our time in sabbatical. We actually spent a lot of time at home. And we we just bought a home in uh, July in Port Orchard. And we wanted to spend some time in Port Orchard and at home just kind of nesting and resting. And certainly there were some projects around the home that we got done, but there was one project in particular that we really enjoyed doing, and it kind of defined our time. We ended up with this home having a lot of property attached to it, but most of that property is actually down a ravine. And we had heard when we bought it that at the bottom of this ravine was a creek. But we'd never been down there, we'd never seen this creek, and we wanted to find it. And so we blazed some trails down to this creek. That was really the activity that kind of defined our sabbatical for us. Let me take a few moments to talk about sabbatical in the first place because we might have different ideas of where that comes from and why we do that. Sabbatical, the roots of it are actually from the Old Testament. If you remember the stories of the Old Testament, you recall that God rescues the people of Israel from Egypt. And as he does, he gives them commands for a new way of life. And one of those commands was a command to rest. Every seven days to rest. I love Sabbath. There's so much to talk about it. Freedom, faithfulness, and trust, and all sorts of things. But that seventh day command wasn't the only Sabbath decree that God gives the people of Israel. Actually, in Leviticus, He tells them not only are they to rest on the seventh day, but every seven years they are to let their land lie fallow. They're just to let their fields do nothing for every seven years. God is so smart because he knows, as farmers know, right, if you just farm and farm and farm and farm on a piece of land, eventually it's going to get sucked dry of all the nutrients that are in it. So the best thing to do is every once in a while is just to let it lie, to let it reclaim the nutrients so that it can be fruitful again. Well, human beings are really no different from the fields, right? We need that too. And hence the concept or the idea of a seven-year sabbatical is linked to this Old Testament idea. So with that kind of subtext of farming and gardening in sabbatical combined with this endeavor that we took to 
blazed trails in our backyard, the theme that sort of arose from our sabbatical for us was this idea of God as the master gardener. God is the master gardener. We're used to some different kind of metaphors when we talk about God. We've talked about God as God the rock or God the shepherd. But I don't know that we talk as often about God the gardener. And one of the most poignant passages, I think, for this is in John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be reading from this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can pull it open. If you pull open one of the pew Bibles, it should be on page 901. You can read along on the screens who we are in John chapter 15. Jesus speaks to us and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father God, this morning we ask that this word would dwell in our hearts, that we would understand and know what it means to abide in you, bear fruit in our lives, open us to your work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus is giving his last instructions to his disciples. He's on the verge of the end of his ministry. And he uses this picture, this illustration of God as a vine dresser. This isn't new to Jesus, actually. This is from the Old Testament. You see it in Isaiah a number of times. And there... Israel is like a vineyard. That's how God describes Israel. And it's a vineyard that produces wild grapes, not the grapes that God wants. And God is a vine dresser there. Here, Jesus takes that illustration, that metaphor, and he changes it and he adds some layers to it. Because in, in John, the vine is no longer Israel, it's Jesus himself. And the branches are a, a new community that are rooted and centered around Jesus. And this community, these branches that are connected to the vine of Jesus, are to bear fruit. If you were to wonder what that fruit is, Jesus doesn't necessarily go into that here, but elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let that soak in a little bit. As you hear those things, recognize that those are the things that our soul yearns for. Love, joy, peace. Those are the things that make life worth living. That give life a, a, a certain kind of quality. And Jesus is saying... That the people who are connected to me get my kind of life, bear that kind of fruit. The people who are joined to me as branches look like me and walk like me and talk like me and have the fruits of love, joy, peace, and so on. 
So what's surprising about this passage isn't necessarily that Jesus is creating this new community. It's this aspect of God as the gardener. I want to turn your attention to that second verse again. Every branch in me, Jesus says, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, on on first glance, that seems counterintuitive. To get more fruit, you take away. To get more fruit, you cut off. But if you're a gardener and you're used to working with plants, you know that this is absolutely true. When we bought our house here in Gig Harbor, long ago, we had an apple tree in our backyard. And um, we didn't know it was an apple tree at first, but sure enough, as time went on, it began to bear these little green tart applets. They, they were no good for eating, uh, but they, they were, this tree was covered with these little green apples. And we figured, I guess that's the kind of apple tree it is. It's just going to bear these little green things. But eventually this apple tree just grew too big. It started taking over our yard. And we needed to prune it. And we murdered this thing, guys. It was so naked and cut and pruned. And I, I mean, it was surprising to think that this thing is going to live after how it got pruned. But live it did. And that next fall, it bore these delicious, round, huge apples that actually tasted good. And it needed that pruning to bear this kind of fruit. And this is the surprising work of God. You would think that all you have to do to get a tree to bear fruit is water it and give it fertilizer. But if that's all you ever did, it would bear some fruit. But to get more fruit, to get good fruit, you would need to prune it. Our souls are no different. If we want to see the fruit that Jesus offers, if we want to see what our souls yearn for, his love, his peace, his joy in our lives, we need to allow God to do a work of pruning in us. So as we began to explore our backyard, uh, we started to go down into the ravine, and uh, I've got some video I I wanted to show you of what our backyard looks like so you can see exactly what this looks like. We began to explore, and we, we made our way down a gully that led to this ravine, And as we were going, we realized this simply would not have been possible. We wouldn't have been able to begin to blaze trails unless it was winter. In the winter, everything is stripped away and the pruning can begin. There is a kind of winter of the soul. You may have experienced this. As we began our sabbatical we experienced this kind of winter, a, a sort of kind of winter. Actually, the, the very first day of our sabbatical, I remember shutting down my email, and I thought this would be like a moment of glee, and I would be cackling as I shut off all my responsibilities and shed all of that. But as I clicked the button to turn off my email, instead I felt a, a twinge in my gut. And I realized that at least for two months... I was going to be turning off this thing that I had been doing that occupies my time, that gives me significance, that is meaningful and purposeful. And for two months, that wasn't going to be a part of my life. 
And I began to wonder, is anybody going to miss me? Am I going to be needed? All those little insecurities you might experience, right? So this began for both Megan and I a a kind of retreat, a, a kind of holy loneliness as what we were used to, the rhythms of our lives, what we found significance in changed, was was sort of stripped away. And we were left just to see what was left, right? We have seasons of our lives, circumstances that are winters for the soul. I think of the spouse who finds out that their husband is addicted to pornography. Or maybe that husband who finds, who gets found out. That's a winter. That's a winter season. I think of someone who gets passed over for a promotion at their job and it rocks their world. I think of someone who loses a loved one. These are the winters of the soul. They are dark places. They are places of isolation, of loneliness. But these are the times of our lives when God is at work. When all the pretense is stripped away and what's left is something tender. Maybe it's something ugly. Maybe it's Something that God needs to prune. So as we got down to the bottom of this gully and and made it into the ravine, you can sort of see the stream, you can sort of hear it, but in our way, we're stinging nettles. Dozens and dozens. This is what they look like in the summer. They look green and luscious, but here they were stripped away of the leaves, but you could still see thorns And there were groves of stinging nettles in our way before we could get to this stream, to this creek. Winter showed us how many stinging nettles there were. We have stinging nettles in our souls. Megan and I were aware of this before we began our sabbatical. We knew there were things that we wanted God to prune from our lives And especially as we enter into a season that is very likely to be an intense one for us, as we plant a church in Port Orchard, we thought it would be wise to invite counselors into our lives. And by God's grace, we found some counselors who specifically work with church planners. And almost every week, we would have a video call with these counselors to speak into our lives. If you know me, you know that one of my positive traits is that I'm a steady person. I'm just a steady guy. And that's kind of how I function in my role at Chapel Hill. I'm the guy who moderates the meetings. I'm the one who helps to bridge people's differences. I'm the one who delivers the bad news because I'm the steady hand. If Pastor Mark and if Pastor Megan are like, Fire! (laughs) If that's them, then I'm like, the gently flowing stream. I'm the water, right? But there's a, there's a shadow side to this positive attribute. Megan and I have been married for 13 years and we've been through some tough things. And sometimes it's, it's good for me to be a steady person. But when she's in pain, 
when she needs me to be with her, she doesn't need me to be a still, calm lake. She needs me to feel with her. She needs me to have empathy. And what I have been finding instead is numb. I have been numb in my soul. So as we began to talk to the counselor and explore this kind of thing that was happening in me, he began to lead me through some of my childhood stories and to recall recall these experiences that have formed me. And I would remember how as an elementary kid, I would sit on the curb, sometimes up to an hour, waiting for my mom to pick me up because she had forgotten me time and time again. I would recall how my mom and my dad would scream at each other, would just get into these yelling matches, and I would scream at them, and I would beg them to stop. And I would not be acknowledged, not then, not after. And I would recall as a teenager how I would practice sitting as still as I could, not moving a muscle, just so I could not feel anything. So it's no surprise that these accumulated experiences created in me a a way of dealing with the world that just shut everything down. I can't be hurt if I don't feel, right? Conceal, don't feel. Thanks, Frozen, for explaining, putting words to my deepest emotional issues. But that's what I was dealing with, and that's a stinging nettle. That's something that was wrapped around my soul. And the love and the joy and the peace that Christ offers to me was being robbed by this part of me. We all have these kinds of stinging nettles. We all have these things that rob us of the fruit that Jesus offers us. Pornography is a symptom. It's not a cause. It's not the root problem. If you're dealing with an addiction to pornography, what are you coping with? What drives you to that? If you're someone who got passed over for a promotion, what was driving you before? Did that help you to see All the busyness, all the success that you were looking for was covering something up. If you've lost a loved one, what is that revealed about who you think God is? These are the stinging nettles of our lives. These are the things that rob us of joy, of peace, of connection to Jesus Thank God for winter that reveals it to us, that shows us where these things are. You know, it's funny. You wouldn't think of it, but whenever you see a garden that's flourishing and that's beautiful and that's bountiful and bearing fruit, you have to realize that took a lot of violence. Gardening is a violent thing. There's ripping, there's cutting, there's tearing, there's digging. This is a gift I got for Megan for Christmas. This is a gardening tool. 
It's called a hoary hoary knife. Can you believe this? this? This looks like Rambo would carry this around. But you use this in the garden. The truth is that pruning is painful. There are parts of our lives that we are scared to death to touch because they are so painful, so frightening for us. And yet we must allow God to enter in and to do his work of pruning in those places. For me, it all came to a head one week when I was just having a conversation with someone And in the course of our conversation, this person was sharing something personal about their life. And I I knew after the fact that there was a moment when I could have dug a little deeper. When I could have opened the doors and explored this person's emotional life. And instead I deflected. And I was reflecting on this with my counselor, just recognizing my this emotional part of me and where I was putting up walls. And I said to him, you know... I had the chance to ask a request, a question. How ridiculous is it that I couldn't just ask a simple question? And my counselor spoke back to me. He said, beware of the voice of condemnation. Know that your father does not speak to you with contempt. He does not think that you are ridiculous. And that struck me. And so after our call, I sat down, I I wanted to spend some time reflecting on the things that we had shared, and I journaled about this. And as I was thinking, I realized that I really had thought that the Father speaks to me with a voice of contempt. And I knew in that moment I was being led to confess. I was being led to actually speak out loud the words, Father, I am sorry that I thought you had contempt for me. And as I went to speak these words out loud, I began to weep. I couldn't even say the words. I couldn't say them because the wound was so deep. And I began to weep and I began to wail. I wailed for 10 minutes. I couldn't say those simple words. All of my accumulated experiences, those stories of my childhood, had led me to believe this lie about who God is. That he spoke with contempt. And so as I sat there on this couch, tears streaming down my face, my gut wrenched. God was doing a work of pruning. It hurt. It was so good. I needed that. Finally, I got to a point where I could say it. Father, I am sorry. I believe that you had contempt for me. Thank you for loving me. You know, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that I've always thought is kind of harsh. But now I think I understand it. It says this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. For the moment, all discipline, all gardening, all pruning seems painful. But later, it yields fruit. As we were exploring our backyard, we got closer and closer to the stream. There was about 20 to 30 feet of stinging nettles in the way. And we just clipped through these things. And eventually, this is what we found. This oasis, this beautiful creek in our backyard. A place of refreshment, a place of restoration. Time will tell what kind of fruit our sabbatical will yield in our lives, but I can tell you, God did a work of pruning. God did a work of creating pathways in my heart so I could find him, so I could find his refreshment, his fruit in my life again. Abide in me, Jesus says. Remain in me. He doesn't say, try harder. He doesn't say, get a planner. He doesn't say, make a New Year's resolution. He says, remain in me. You don't need a two-month sabbatical to do that. I'm going to give you three really simple, really practical things. First of, stop and listen. And I mean that literally. Stop and listen. Take a half hour, take an hour, even better, Some Saturday, some day of the week, just stop. Turn off the radio. Turn off the TV. Throw your stupid smartphone in the trash can. Get rid of the distractions, the busyness of life. Stop and listen to what your soul is trying to tell you. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What makes me sad? What do I yearn for? Invite Jesus into that conversation. Especially in our day and age, we are so consumed, we don't even stop to consider, to listen. That's the beginning of Sabbath. The next thing is, bear your souls. I had to bear my soul. I had to find someone who I could trust, who could look at me in my stripped down nakedness, to look at my pain See me as I was and say, I see you and you are loved as a son or a daughter of the Father. We need that. This is what church is for. This is why we need each other. This is why we get together, why we have a community. I don't care how you do it. If you need a lay counselor, if you need someone in your life group, if you need to try CR on Wednesday nights, Whatever it is, do the hard, vulnerable work of bearing your soul to someone. And finally, be hungry. Be hungry. Be hungry for that fruit that we all yearn for. Get the larger view of life and recognize what really fulfills about life. And don't be satisfied with the routine Don't be satisfied with the way things have gone. Be hungry. 
And in your hunger, be brave. Be willing to go places that you would not normally because on the other side of it are streams of refreshing. The fruit that Jesus offers, his love, his joy, his peace. Holy Spirit, this is not something that I can make people do. This is something that you create in us. You work creation, Lord. You are the one who makes us hungry. You are the one who reveals to us your goodness. So show us that, Jesus. You are the one who helps us when we are afraid. You are the one who assures us of your love. You are the one who strips away what we cling to so that we could find what we need to. So Jesus, we ask for you to do that work in us to help us to stop and listen. Lord, there are deep things in us, things that choke us, that rob us of what you would have for us. Help us be in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.